thank you for joining us on the Therapy Cable podcast. What you're about to listen to are conversations and interviews on some of the most crucial and important topics in the behavioral and mental health space. It is our mission to help remove the stigmas attached to mental health, psychology, and addiction, one recording at a time. Welcome to Therapy Cable. I'm Dr. Asan Garajadagi, clinical psychologist. And today we are uh, talking about attachment styles. We already talked in depth about how the attachment styles come to be and where they, the kind of the root of their development, and starting from John Bowlby going to Mary Ainsworth and then the work of Hess and uh, uh, Maine, uh, Mary Maine and Eric Hess, who have uh, more or less developed the adult attachment inventory that is mm, predicative of individuals' early attachment styles. Not predicative, I'm sorry, uh, more or less indicative of their early attachment styles, which are important to understand about how attachment styles can affect a person's reactions to situations, especially in relationships. So I'm not going to go through the details of those if you haven't watched that video which uh, uh, was a response video to other attachment style videos on the internet uh, please watch that uh, I hope there's a, a link in the uh, description that you can find and if not you can just search for attachment styles and I'm sure you can find the other video but very briefly I have a diagram that we put together of two dimensions here it's kind of simple one is a dimension of anxiety and the other one is dimension of approachability that are um, the core components of how an attachment style actually comes together and we divided that into four quadrants with uh, the low anxiety and high approachability becoming and describing the secure attachment style whereas the high anxiety and high approachability um, and uh, lack of avoidance becoming the preoccupied anxious preoccupied attachment style and then the bottom uh, portion of this um, uh, of this uh, diagram become being more the avoidant attachment styles, two types of avoidant attachment styles because they are on the low scale of approachability. So people who generally do not want to approach uh, another person, especially caregiver, um, with low or high anxiety. Uh, with a low anxiety, more the uh, kind of ambivalent um, uh, and, and still avoidant. Um, uh, not not ambivalent, I'm sorry, just avoidant, uh, pure avoidant, if you will, low anxiety, kind of not really caring much about um, the environment and as well as low approachability. And on the other hand, high anxiety, so still feeling very anxious inside but not showing it and still avoiding people, which becomes the more um, uh, fearful avoidant uh, type of a style. Uh, ambivalent stash fearful avoidant so here what we have is um, 
the depiction of four attachment styles and then we also recognize that this is the organized category so all of them are organized along these dimensions and then we have another fifth one which is called the disorganized attachment style which is uh, the disorganized one really is um, uh, correlated with a lot of you know uh, later conduct disorder and oppositional defiant disorder antisocial disorder as well as criminal activities and behaviors and it is important to understand that disorganized really don't actually display any uh, let's say preferred attachment style certainly they're not secure um, they're definitely insecure like the other three but they're the disorganized one also they don't uh, they can flip at any given moment. The, the uh, current understanding is that their level of experience of trauma more or less in their attachment with other individuals have been so severe that they uh, literally are not grounded, are not anchored toward any predictable, uh, reliable type of um, uh, trajectory that you, we could discern and rely upon. So they can switch from being highly anxious to highly avoidant, caring or not caring, uh, to uh, low anxiety, to uh, some approachability. They can be all over the place. And, uh, and ultimately we see the culmination of their problem and the traumatic injury to their attachment style that they have had in their conduct, in their behaviors and mostly in uh, faulty uh, decision-making that they engage in, ultimately ending them, ending up in uh, uh, quite uh, uh, precarious situations and self-defeating uh, type of um, consequences uh, where they know they, they're gonna get in trouble and they may not care. They may even thrive in those types of environments where trouble and getting in trouble and uh, making people get in trouble and basically that type of power play actually becomes a tool for them to engage in so they um, really become more or less immune to the common sense of pain and discomfort and uh, negative consequences that generally most people shy away from and actually uh, are capable of um, uh, using in a very functional way uh, to stay compliant with general norms of society. But individuals who are in the disorganized attachment category, they uh, literally have a higher threshold of pain and um, punishment that they have developed over time. And then they learn how to kind of get along with other individuals just like themselves in that same category by engaging in this type of very um, complex, uh, convoluted, and highly power-based type of uh, interactions and differentials between themselves to assert control and some, some sense of freedom or, um, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, ability to live their lives within a very confined uh, space, uh, such as, you know, prison environment, locations or possible uh, arrangements that have high restrictions, yet some level of freedom. That is something that is 
again very isolated not in the general public we don't see that much in healthy more functional day-to-day -day relationships in the work work environment in you know uh, general family functions it's really isolated to uh, very what we call forensic environments where this population is more under restrictions under control and uh, and generally not available to interact with the public in the in the public sector you know at work in in uh, just regular public relationships and um, private and public relationships but more functional relationships with other human beings that we see enjoy a certain very normal level of freedom they're not part of the forensic population part of the criminal population they're regarded as healthy functional human beings who have a lot of rights and freedom they still enjoy their rights and freedom of uh, you know a freedom of expression freedom of movement freedom of actions and they're not under restrictions uh, so more or less the folks that we interact with on a daily basis whether it is within uh, you know our family interactions or work we see the mostly the organized attachment styles and specific subset of that organized attachment style uh, that we also see uh, happening is um, within romantic relationships and that is part of what I would like to go into today in addressing this um, uh, basically combination of attachment styles that we may get within romantic relationships. Uh, you would wonder, you know, do you get, always get two people, for instance, from the same category or maybe opposite categories which, or, or styles? And how would that unfold? So um, there are certain patterns and, um, uh, you know, kind of, I would say, predictable types of reactions and interactions that we can see, uh, you know, within coupledom or relationships where two people come together, they interact in a very predictable way that is related to their attachment style rather than anything else. And we want to get into that. When people have two secure attachment styles, let's again uh, refer to the diagram with low anxiety and high approachability. Uh, if two people have both the same secure attachment, so how would that uh, look uh, in a, let's say, given interaction between uh, two people as they are negotiating their way around uh, certain problems or stressors or disagreements. And uh, so uh, let's look at that uh, and let's uh, give an example of how to raise children, um, let's say, when it comes to the notion of uh, being uh, forgiving or not. You know, if, if uh, two parents are talking about their child, maybe their child have, has been uh, unfairly treated at school, maybe bullied a little bit. And then uh, these parents have different opinions about how to go about this, like whether or not, you know, the child, they should instill in their child a sense of tolerance and forgiveness. And, uh, and if they do, also how do they level that or balance it against the sense of assertiveness and uh, standing up for one's rights and, and really kind of fighting for one's, um, uh, you know, uh, rights. And uh, how do they do that? How do they negotiate these differences if they have secure attachment style? So what I would like to propose is that we start with the 
understanding that a disagreement or, or the answer really goes this way it depends how people look at disagreements and their way of negotiating uh, their positions within the relationships around the disagreements if people uh, generally feel that um, you know they have an understanding and acceptance of diversity and uniqueness of individuals and they don't necessarily look for a uh, kind of sameness and a steadfast 100% agreement uh, or, or, or likeness or sameness as I mentioned uh, then they are also willing to tolerate uh, different opinions and different positions different um, whether it is political position, religious position, societal position, philosophical position basically a different angle at viewing at, at something so one parent would espouse a certain you know uh, kind of uh, life philosophy for instance to as to as it relates to tolerance and forgiveness they may say you know people generally are better off learning how to tolerate uh, certain stressful situations and exercise forgiveness in that situation and that's what i want my child to learn and they may be then facing the opposite position of that that is uh, represented by their partner meaning that the partner may say something like well you know i completely believe in something else in, in, in the fact that if you are too tolerant or even a little bit tolerant uh, in certain situations then you will be taken advantage of you will be taken as weak or uh, incapable of uh, and, and even deserving some kind of uh, aggression so if they came from this kind of opposite positions and they were less um, willing to allow for diversity of opinions and uh, and coexistence of different uh, angles and perspectives uh, then certainly they would take more of adversarial position against them because each one would believe that their own way of thinking is the only and the most uh, uh, effective, the best way of living life and they would not allow much for the other opinion, the opposite opinion to actually exist or thrive. As a result of these adversarial positions then they, they may get into a, a conflict and a clash. I would suggest that if people with even secure attachment styles may engage in these types of, uh, I would say, debate and argument and adversarial viewpoints, even though they may have secure attachment styles. So uh, let's go through that. What happens if two, two individuals with secure attachment styles have very strong uh, opposite positions in their philosophical standing. So they may um, they may understand more or less that they come to you know uh, a, a clash and, and a friction and just kind of um, debating and arguing and 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 during that type of a clash and friction and even at the end of it they may simply walk away with an understanding that they didn't, they were, were not able to be convinced otherwise or even convincing the other person. And they may, it may get heated, it may get, uh, you know, it may escalate at one point or de-escalate and 
uh, and they may not come to any conclusion in the end and still remain completely different, but it would not necessarily quest, kind of uh, uh, introduce a doubt or a question. Uh, they wouldn't start questioning the core meaning and value of their relationship. In other words, their attachment. So the attachment would still remain secure. They may say, you know, we don't meet eye to eye. Let's just table this discussion for a while. Maybe we need a third opinion. Maybe we have we need a different uh, time or different uh, means of discussing this. But right now is not a good time. We have been upset at each other or angry or uh, you know uh, feeling un unheard or misunderstood, etc. But it's not worth continuing this type of a debate and debacle between us. It's probably you know unhealthy and hurting um, our. Um, level of, if you will, affinity with each other. So let's just table it, um, go about our lives, let's figure out a way. There must be a way that we can figure out. Uh, so therefore, they are not allowing this debate and argument, even if it is adversarial in nature, to, to impact negatively, uh, to damage the underlying core attachment between them. They wouldn't suddenly say certain things like, you know, I, I believe you're the wrong person, or this is the wrong relationship. I believe we are not meant for each other. I believe we shouldn't live together or be in a relationship. They would not go there. They wouldn't necessarily allow themselves to, uh, again, start doubting the foundation of their relationship being that need for attachment or um, uh, necessity for remaining in a in a uh, loving caring relationship in other words the disagreement would not translate into lack of caring about one another so that is very important to understand and 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 also if we break it down into what's happening here is that despite the heat again intensity and um, and heatedness of that discussion and adversarial positions that they may take more or less rationally and and logically and even emotionally with one another they are they are remaining in this core in this corner um, uh, points of these dimensions meaning they can it, as it relates to their attachment their anxiety about attachment does not escalate you know, they, they regard as attachment as still functional, secure. There's nothing to question, the, uh, the reason to question the attachment itself. So the anxiety remains low. And also their approachability toward which, with each other remains high. They don't flip into the opposite position of, I have to avoid this person, just because, let's say, if, if in my mind they are taking this adversarial position, and as a reason, it may seem like they are against me and they are going more or less against the current that, that I'm in, then I would have to also avoid them. I would have to stay away from them, which would be more of the low point of the dimension of approachability. So uh, that's what a secure attachment really would look like. People would be willing to disagree with each other. And again, as I mentioned, that disagreement would be on a scale of, uh, or kind of a curve, if you will, 
of escalation, it, it may be very much kept low at the energy level of um, you know, low escalation, where people actually have a dialogue and they can keep it at that level of understanding one another, or they may escalate it to a level of um, you know, high energy and highly intense emotional, logical uh, kind of, again, like I mentioned, debacle between them. Uh, and, and adversarial position-taking where they're exerting their power and unwilling to understand each other uh, then but yet uh, no matter where they are on this scale of intensity of communication understanding and mis misunderstanding they do not translate that to their attachment to their level of connection and caring for one another they are willing to separate these two issues and topics. They, um, they, they separate these at two different realms. You know, I still love this person, I care this person. I, despite our differences, I feel like I am being cared about and cared for and, uh, and uh, loved and appreciated. That, uh, that's our glue, that's our connection, that's our attachment, that's our love, whatever we want to call it. Despite this, uh, we may disagree with cer about certain things completely, fundamentally disagree about things. That is quite a paradoxical uh, state of mind to be in, that not many people are actually capable of doing that. However, uh, many times you do see that uh, uh, quite a few people, in terms of uh, people who have had some experience, some training in more or less being able to navigate these two realms of human interaction uh, they're actually capable of doing so you may see that in certain uh, circles in uh, you know of your friends uh, family members some people uh, it's a, certainly a fraction of the population i would say maybe uh, five to ten percent of the population uh, possesses that type of ability and skill to be able to kind of navigate both of these realms uh, but it can happen and it does happen and it's also a good testimony to the strength of their secure attachments. And in also, in other words, they may use two other terms that usually is meant within the attachment theory, which is secure base and safe haven. So uh, subconsciously, I mean, this is nothing really that is so uh, conscious to people, you know, when they're talking to each other and they say, oh, I, I feel really cared about and this person is my secure base or secure safe haven. They don't say that. People uh, generally don't even know about this concept. But it is good to highlight these, that this is really what kind of happens subconsciously, that a person um, has learned that, you know, the other, the partner represents those two um, uh, psychological uh, and, and, and emotional mental positions with one another. Uh, to a certain level, I would even call it a spiritual connection, where uh, it, it culminates into a spiritual connection, where a person feels so secure and so grounded and so um, securely attached to the partner that they regard their partner as a secure base, that you know they, they always know that more or less this partner always has my back. That would be translating it into uh, layman language, if you will. And, uh, and also the opposite of that, that even though we may disagree and kind of, you know, separate logically from one another or even to some extent emotionally, I can always go back to that secure base. 
I always go back to this uh, representation of someone who has my back. We may um, distance from one another to, due to certain reasons, and in this case it may be a disagreement of opinion, but regardless, I can, uh, this person is safe enough that I can go back to. You know, I don't have to stay away from them for long. We can take a breather from each other, from each other's intense positions, if you will, in discussing certain things, but they're safe enough that I can go back to. I don't have to question that safety. That's the most important part of it. What I would like to do is kind of um, break down an interesting phenomenon here, which is, you know, within this <coughs> diagram, what we have, I would like you to pay attention to the upper part and the lower part I highlighted a little bit earlier. The upper uh, half is about high approachability. So a person who is highly approachable and then in one half of that high approachability they can remain secure or uh, the other half there then they become insecure. So what's going on here? Really uh, what we could argue is that as part of their journey to establishing a secure attachment, they already possess half of the formula. 50% meaning their sense of approachability rather than avoidance. As compared to the other half, where individuals who fall underneath, meaning a low scale of approachability, or wanting desirability to approach others, or perceiving others as approachable, you know, they are they're really, I would say, quite um, in a certain predicament, I will, I will get into that, that is a little bit more difficult to resolve than, than this one. Because uh, a lower scale of approachability uh, indicates that an individual has learned that others are generally not approachable and not safe. So, which is... Um, uh, you know the core issue of attachment if uh, that's that's a harder obstacle to overcome if I'm perceiving that others are not approachable how can I establish an attachment with them so before we get to this lower part I want to focus on that uh, quadrant the upper right quadrant that uh, basically already is halfway through to establishing a secure relationship but what they're missing is their heart is, is a lower level of anxiety, meaning what they're missing is self-regulation, they self-soothing. What they haven't learned is to rely on their own inner resources, internal, as well as at times also external, but more uh, kind of uh, equally spread and uh, distributed among different tasks versus what they do usually is that they take their anxiety and introduce it back into the relationship meaning they become highly codependent on other people to self-soothe so this is usually the one we get with the preoccupied um, you know uh, highly anxious preoccupied a uh, person who uh, would have this style where they come in and basically in a relationship they expect certain uh, level of presence and uh, co-soothing, if you will, from their partner. They, they, they project a certain level of responsibility onto their partner as to the partner needing to take care of one's uh, inner feelings and emotions. So to give an example, a wife or husband 
may get upset about certain things. And then rather than being able to um, walk away, take a break, take a breather, uh, focus on their own resources to calm themselves down, such as, you know, take a walk, talk to a friend, um, uh, you know, reading a book or uh, watching a movie or um, even playing a game, if you will, um, uh, preoccupying themselves with certain work or activity that they like homework or housework or, you know, uh, anything more or less, or even going to the gym and exerting some physical uh, exercise, anything that can help themselves calm down instead of engaging in any of those interactions, they become highly dependent on their partner to change. So they kind of postpone any of these self-soothing behaviors uh, for later. In fact, in their mind, any of these self-soothing behaviors that I just mentioned uh, take less of a priority and less of a meaning and importance and they kind of go to the bottom of their list and top of on, on their list, you know, what occupies the top of their, of their list is, is this need for their partner to remain engaged and, uh, and to some extent to beyond remaining engaged, showing and, and, and displaying their affection or caring or empathy or, or again, soothing. Um, apparatus such as you know asking uh, the partner how uh, he or she is doing um, you know uh, expressing remorse or expressing some kind of an understanding uh, expressing some emotions at times it doesn't even have to be verbal at times it could be a nonverbal communication uh, anything that would help the agitated partner to uh, to calm down but the key differentiator here is that the agitated partner uh, almost demands a certain action and reaction uh, in the present moment from their, from their partner. Uh, otherwise, they see themselves incapable of calming down. It is just beyond their uh, control and beyond their... Uh, wildest dreams that they actually this agitated partner can do something for themselves by themselves to calm down so this high dependence on another person um, is is what i just mentioned earlier as a channeling of their own anxiety into the relationship into their attachment into their dependence and reliance on other people specifically in this case this significant other so it's and and we sum it up under self-regulation ultimately they lack in self-regulation and they have made their own self-regulation highly dependent on, on other people's actions and and by and behaviors and by behaviors i think we include generally actions words verbal non-verbal feelings expressions you know and uh, and movement it, it, uh, facial body language, verbal language, all those are included in behaviors. So, uh, if, so therefore, if the preoccupied, anxious, uh, preoccupied um, style actually learned some self-soothing strategies, really that would be the other 50%. It would solve the problem by learning how to become more interdependent. 
um, and by interdependent I mean that they can learn uh, when they learn to independently self-soothe by doing certain things by themselves away from their significant other um, and it can also include other individuals but preferably uh, hopefully they can at least over time learn how to just self-soothe by themselves so what they could do is instead of highly relying on their significant other kind of transition to other individuals and people in their lives but even that would be, wouldn't be ideal because there's still others that have to be in the picture for a person to self-soothe to a point that they can gradually just kind of uh, you know um, uh, flip to the other side of being able to uh, self-soothe and uh, so flip to the low state of anxiety by themselves and then that's how they can switch from being preoccupied to uh, more of a secure individual and uh, and how they would do it is over time they would learn uh, certain practices again actions behaviors that they can engage in by themselves and there are tons of them you know that don't require another person to be present and that that's more of a transition they would transition from this highly dependent state of mind where everything is includes other people in uh, moment to moment interactions to a uh, less dependent on others and more reliant and dependent so on self so in other words self-reliant type of strategies to uh, and mindset where uh, uh, individual can actually just uh, experience the world uh, alone they don't they're not lonely and it wouldn't be feelings of loneliness but they would be able and quite capable of being alone and be happy and content for that moment for that short period of time everything would be fine they would rely more heavily individually internally on enjoying that time being alone doing self-soothing um, things um, and, uh, and, and equally valuing it as a uh, time well spent in their lives. Um, so that's that upper uh, half. And then uh, what I would like to do here is go into this, the, the lower half. Um, but before I do that, I want to just bring up then the combination, you know, you could at times have a combination of a secure partner and a preoccupied partner. And uh, it's not a bad partner uh, or combination. In fact, if you always, uh, at, at times, if you have a secure partner within that combination, so a secure and any of the other three, uh, it's a quite good combination because what happens over time, if things are done right, and if other psychological, you know, um, uh, functioning is basically uh, in place, if other psychological resources and faculties of their uh, person is intact and they're working well what happens is we see the insecure uh, individuals or attachment styles gravitate toward becoming more secure so they kind of learn through role, role modeling and observation more or less vicarious learning as well as uh, some improvement self-improvements to copy more or less the style of the secure person and at times, if the other psychological faculties of a person are not necessarily quite functioning, so and maybe there is trauma, there are 
life-changing events, then it could actually flip where uh, influence of any of these other insecure styles would be so high and their situation would be so traumatic and chaotic um, and unsettling that the secure person may actually develop into more of an insecure style and we will get into that as well so uh, I think I'm gonna end this uh, video uh, clip on uh, really the uh, upper half of what we discussed the upper half of this quadrant and um, we're gonna create another video about the other um, two styles and and then also the combinations of how uh, possible um, combination of any of these styles together uh, would affect the quality of a relationship. Thank you for watching. Stay tuned for uh, our other video. Make sure you watch the other uh, attachment styles videos and let us know what you think. Uh, we welcome your comments. Uh, also uh, subscribe for more videos if you would like to receive more information about attachment styles as well as relationships as well as other psychological principles. Thank you for watching. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Therapy Cable Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast provider. To view the entire videos of these episodes, visit us online at therapycable.com and send us an email about your thoughts and topic suggestions.